Morning. Well done to Johnny for coping with the distraction. Well, oops, there we go. Once upon a time, there was a railway swing bridge that spanned a river estuary. And most of the day, the bridge sat parallel to the banks, allowing ships to pass freely either side. Whenever a train arrived, the swing bridge would swing and would span to the estuary and allow the train by. Now, the controls for that were operated by a switchman in a cabin on one side of the bank. And one evening, he saw the last train of the day coming in the distance as usual. So he operated the levers as normal, but to his utter horror, the locking mechanism on the far side wasn't docking properly. And if the bridge wasn't secure, the train would jump the tracks and crash into the river below. And this is a passenger train, and it was always packed. Thinking quickly, the switchman left the bridge in position, head across to the other side, where there was a manual locking lever, which he needed to use his whole weight to hang on to. And just as the train nears the bridge, he hears a small voice saying, Daddy, where are you? And his four-year-old son is walking the bridge to look for him. And his first thought is to shout, run! But the train was too close. Maybe if he sprinted, he could snatch up his son and get him to safety. But that means he couldn't get back in time to operate the lever. So he's got this awful decision, this dilemma. Does he save the many on the train or his own son? Own little boy. Versions of um, this story, and it is a story have made their way into philosophy exams. But for us, the question is, what would you have done? Should we pray? Father, we want to thank you that, uh, that you sacrificed your son. That was the decision you took. Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, we pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would... Bring it home to us again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, uh, as we've already heard, we're doing this series on the patriarchs. We've covered five major incidents in Abraham's life so far. Um, but today, although there's another one next week, today's really the kind of pinnacle, it's the climax of Abraham's life story. And it starts with just an ordinary day. It could be a Monday Abraham spent a lot of his life on the road. But latterly, when he gets to this story, he's actually settled in southern Canaan in a place called Beersheba. Beersheba still exists today. It's in a desert area that you probably have heard of called the Negev. And it's been in continuous existence for 4,000 years. Thanks to the availability largely of, of water. So this one day... God interrupts Abraham's routine with an absolutely bizarre request. Abraham, 
I want you to take your only son and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering in the Moriah region and I'll show you exactly where. It's staggering. It's outrageous. But I find Abraham's response actually almost as astonishing. What doesn't he do? He doesn't attempt to rationalize it. Oh, well, I must have misheard that one. He doesn't shout and rave. God, I followed you uphill and down dale for decades. You've given me these promises about building a nation from me and you've given me an heir and now you want me to kill me, to kill my own son. You tricked me. You just wanted a human sacrifice all along. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't even stall for time. Not even a day. How is Abraham so matter-of-fact? Well, it seems Abraham reasoned like this. It's according to Hebrews 11. Since God promised me descendants, and since he now apparently wants me to sacrifice my own son, that can only mean that he intends to raise him from the dead. That's what Hebrews says he was thinking. It says figuratively he did receive him back from the dead. Even so, even with that enormous amount of faith, I bet he didn't sleep that night. On the plus side, I guess it gave him time to plan. So the very next morning he makes all the arrangements, doesn't he? So stack of wood, check. Two servants, just to make sure he's got everything Check. Food and water, check. A Isaac, check. Knife, check. And the party heads off north. And, uh, and if you have a look at that map, um, you might just be able to make out in the, uh, the, the sort of lower left, there's a red ring. That's where Beersheba is. And if you go sort of up central to the top, there's another red ring. That's where he's, that's where he's headed. So, and it's about a, a 44 miles uh, trek as the crow flies. It's not a short journey. The real distance is going to be considerably longer because it's awkward, hilly terrain. And it takes three days. Yeah, that's three days for Abraham to struggle with his emotions. Three days to wonder what Sarah is going to say when he gets back. It's three days to remember giving a little Isaac shoulder rides as a toddler. It's three days to remember swinging him between Sarah and himself, the way you do with little kids. Him saying, again, daddy, again. And all those memories going over and over and over. And Isaac's laughter. Isaac actually means laughter. But I bet Abraham wasn't laughing. Can you imagine the turmoil in his head? Dreading arriving. But arrive they do. It can't be made any better by Isaac's innocent question. Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham's 
prophetic, as it turned out, fob off. God will provide the lamb's son. So if you can, I'd like you to put yourself at the scene in Mount Moriah. Servants, they've been left some way back. I don't know how long a journey, but they're probably out of sight and likely out of earshot while Isaac carries the wood up and Abraham and he build the altar together. And Abraham says to his probably teenage son, who's obviously strong enough to carry the wood, put your hands behind your back for me a moment. Okay. What are you doing, Dad? And Isaac lifts Isaac onto the wood while Isaac stares back at his dad in shock and terror. And Abraham lifts the knife with his hands probably shaking with Isaac screaming, Dad, Dad, don't, don't kill me. And at the last possible second, the angel of the Lord, who virtually everyone, including me, believes is Jesus, calls, don't do it, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, stop what you're doing. Let him go. Take him down. Put the knife away. It's okay. You passed. You passed the test. And just at that moment, something moves in the periphery of Abraham's vision, and he spots a ram with its horns tangled up in some shrubby thorns, and the ram gets sacrificed instead to absolutely everybody's relief. And if that's where the story had ended in Hebrew scripture, it would stand alone as a dramatic but somewhat brutal test of Abraham's obedience. But of course, that's not where it ends. Because God knew 2,000 years in advance that he fully intended to sacrifice his only son, Jesus, on, catch this, the very same mountain with his son also carrying the wood for his own execution in the shape of a cross. Do you think that's coincidence? Of course it isn't. But you say, oh, David, the scene of this story was Moriah, wasn't it? Not Jerusalem's outskirts. No, actually, it's the same place. We know that. Um, Next slide, because the Bible tells us. So a thousand years later, Solomon built the temple there, and it says this in 2 Chronicles 3. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, where on Mount Moriah. So that is where Jerusalem is. And there are so many parallels between Abraham's story and the story of Calvary. And God says to Abraham, sacrifice your only son whom you love. What does that remind us of? At Jesus' baptism, God says, next slide, this is my beloved son, my only son, with whom I am well pleased. Can you hear the pride in God's voice when he says that? This is my son and I'm proud of him. But there are differences too. And they're full of meaning as well. Because if Abraham had it rough and he had it rough, 
God had it rougher. Firstly, Abraham had three admittedly awful days to contemplate killing his own son. God had an eternity. God always knew. If we, we've not got it on a slide, but Revelation 13 makes reference to Jesus as the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. God anticipated it from the very beginning. Second difference is that Isaac really only understood what was going on pretty much at the last minute. But Jesus also knew from the outset as well. He was fully in on Calvary. God anticipated it. Jesus volunteered and knew about it. Father and Son designed this together. Just like Isaac and Abraham who built the the altar together. And thirdly, whereas Abraham and Isaac got a reprieve at the last minute, God didn't give a reprieve to his own son. Even though he sweat blood in Gethsemane, crying, Oh, Father, if it's possible, please, please take this cup from me. But God turned a deaf ear. Why did God not listen? God had already raised the dead at his son's request. And the answer is because there was no other way. There was no other way of satisfying justice. It wasn't possible for Jesus to be reprieved like Isaac. Otherwise, you and I could not and would not ever be reconciled to God. Jesus had to die for our sin in our place, the innocent, taking the place of the guilty. It's the door of heaven, the gate of heaven can only be unbolted from the inside. We can't gate crash heaven. God had to do the unlocking himself and it cost him. So there are other implications in this story. Here's one of the biggest ones. If God was premeditatedly willing to sacrifice his own son, his only son, for you and you and you and you at such cost to himself and such pain. How valuable does that make you? Think about it. Perhaps in private, like many people, you actually think, Not a lot of yourself. Well, I've got news for you. Because according to the story of Calvary, God does not share your opinion. He really loves you. Look at the next slide. Couldn't be a a better known verse. God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Absolutely premeditated, done out of love, God prepared to sacrifice his only son for us motley lot. Here's another implication. Scripture says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's 1 Corinthians 6. It's not up on the slide. 
But maybe just quietly in your own heart, are you disputing that? No, I'm my own man or my own woman. Were you thinking of buying your way out? What were you thinking of paying with? You were bought so expensively. Yeah, we do have considerable autonomy in our lives. Our lives are on loan back to us. Catch that. They are on loan back to us. But they're not ours. Not if you've given your life away to the Lord. Third little implication. It's a bit of a niche one. It's worth noting that most of the major events in Abraham's life occurred actually in the second half of his life and some of them in quite late years like this one. Obviously, with us, the greater age brings greater frailty and that's a limitation and we inevitably get older. And However young we are today, you're not going to stay that way. That's the bad news. But as we get older, as we inevitably get older, let's make it our business to grow more Christ-like. Let's make it our business to keep pace with the Holy Spirit because that's not an age thing. Let's make sure that we keep following him until our dying day. And last little implication is if you're puzzled about something in your life this morning. Remember, God doesn't promise to explain himself to you. He doesn't have to. Abraham never knew that the temple was going to be built on the same spot a thousand years later. And he certainly never knew that God was going to send his own son 2,000 years later to die on the same spot he didn't know that what he was going through was going to be mirrored and bettered by God's sacrifice and to achieve the salvation of humanity on Calvary's cross so if you're puzzled about something try and take by faith that God's purposes are always love because that's his nature that's his character Whatever you think is going on may actually not be the full picture. Probably isn't. Well, we're not taking communion this morning unless you feel like staying on for the 11.45. But the next time we do, let's try and really understand and get it at heart level just how expensive and how painful and how necessary the cross was. Remember, if it hadn't been imperative, God would never have allowed his beloved son to go through with humanity's rescue mission. Above all, let's never get blasé about Calvary. Amen.